0: This episode of Safe Space Radio is brought to you by the Learner Foundation and listeners like you.
1: This is WMPG. My name is Anne Hallward. I'm a psychiatrist in Portland, Maine. And this is Safe Space Radio, a show about the subjects we would struggle with less if we could talk about them more. We've been off for the summer. I'm really glad to be back. Today we begin the last part of our series on the Maine Wabanaki State Child Welfare Truth and Reconciliation Commission we'll be airing four more shows about the TRC. But now that the findings and recommendations have been published, we'll be looking at the TRC within the larger context of history, especially the history of tribe-state relations in Maine. So a quick review if you haven't been following this series. The TRC is the first of its kind in the country where the state government and the leaders of the tribes of Maine came together to investigate the practice of removing children from native families. Historically, Native children have been removed from their homes over decades, first to boarding schools in an attempt to systematically rid them of the influence of Native culture. Later, Native children were adopted into white families in theory to protect them from conditions of poverty. In 1978, the Indian Child Welfare Act was passed in order to address this problem. The Act set up guidelines to prevent the removal of Native children from their communities because the practice was still happening at disproportionately high rates. This Truth and Reconciliation Commission in Maine was set up to determine whether these guidelines were actually being followed and to make recommendations about how to remedy them. With me in the studio today is Donna Loring, an elder and former council member of the Penobscot Indian Nation. She held the position of the nation's representative to the Maine State Legislature for over a decade. As part of her work there, she authored and sponsored LD291, an act to require teaching Maine Native American history and culture in Maine schools, which was signed into law by Governor Angus King in June of 2001. And I want to tell you, Donna, I'm a mom of a 12-year-old, and he got to learn about Wabanaki history in a way that I think he may not have if it wasn't for you. Great. So thank you very much. You're welcome. Donna Loring is also an adjunct faculty member at the University of Maine in Orono. Donna is also a Vietnam vet and the former police chief at the Penobscot Nation. She, in fact, was the first female graduate of the Maine Criminal Justice Academy to become a police chief. Quite, quite an amazing history. Donna is also the host of Wabanaki Windows, a show at WERU Community Radio in Blue Hill. Is that right? Right. Welcome to Safe Space Radio, Donna. Well, thank you. It's good to be here. So I think many of us had this hope when the Truth and Reconciliation Commission was launched that this was going to usher in a new era for tribe-state relations in Maine, that there was going to be this moment of opportunity for people to really get, I think especially for white, maybe southern Mainers, to get what had been happening to Native communities that we hadn't known about. And certainly I had this feeling that there was going to be a change and that it was very hopeful. And where we are today is that the legislative representatives have walked out really, except for one, I understand, really out of a clarity that nothing was changing. So let's start by talking about
0: the walkout. What happened there and why? Okay, Okay, we've had representatives in that legislature since 1823. And on May 26th, 2015 tribal represent Penobscot Nation representative and the Passamaquoddy representative who had been there since the 1800s walked out permanently they are not going back that's history Maine was the only state in the country where tribal reps represented tribal governments we would uh, keep pushing for economic self-sufficiency to be treated equally and fairly, and we would do do this by uh, putting forth bills uh, in the legislature. And uh, nine times out of ten, those bills would be uh, denied. And uh, just for an example, in 2002, uh, it was the very first time in the history of the state of Maine that tribal chiefs were allowed to address a joint session of the Maine State Legislature. And we've been there since 1823. Now, uh, what kind of message does that send?
1: And they were always non-voting, as I understand, too, right? Yeah,
0: non-voting. So, you know, it it took us a while to to come to the conclusion that uh, we're not getting anywhere this way.
1: I want to talk in a moment about the actual findings and recommendations of the TRC. Um, But I still want to lay a little bit more context, a little more groundwork, especially since you've been a legislator and uh, know so much more than I do about how bills get passed in this state. I'd like to ask you your opinion about a couple of them. So one is um, LD 239, a bill to create a seat on the board of the Maine Criminal Justice Academy for a representative from one of the tribes. What I understand is that police officers who serve on the reservations themselves have to go through the Criminal Justice Academy training, but there is no one representing them on that board. Is that right? That's correct. And why does that matter?
0: Well, it matters because um, in the overall application of justice, when when you have dealings with a community, and I don't care what community it is, you have to have some sort of knowledge about their culture, their issues, uh, and need to treat them with respect. Well, that hasn't been happening across this country, and we've seen the results of that. Uh, you know, specifically. What do you mean when you say that? Well, um, I'm talking about Ferguson and uh, in other other cities where uh, there's been. Uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, is another one uh, where they've just sort of just killed people. I mean, you know, and for and for no good reason, they just shot them. In in Albuquerque, the homeless guy, uh, he was out in the hills camping, and um, I think he was being uncooperative with them, and they have it on video. The guy just the the police officers just shot him, and I mean, it's just kind of like a disregard disrespect for for human life and um you just have to at least show that you're you're interested and that you want to have a connection with the communities and the other thing too is you know you have tribes tribal communities that have been here <laughs> prior to you know pre-colonial times and um there's just been no attempt to uh, to work with us and, and respect us. And it's kind of like you do it our way, and uh, we don't care about your, your community and your cultural differences because you know what? We're all Maine citizens, and we're all the same right across the board. Uh, it's this, this color-blindness kind of thing, uh, which, which is all well and good if if, in fact, Everybody is the same, and everybody has the same opportunities and has the same uh, income and has the same uh, employment opportunities. If everything is equal across the board, that's fine. You can be colorblind, but that's not reality.
1: It seems like a no-brainer that there should be a tribal representative on the Criminal Justice Academy board. I mean, that doesn't seem like anything that would be hard to see the, the need for,
0: um, but, you know, it's called institutional racism for a reason. And it's because these institutions, such as the Maine State Legislature and uh, other systems in this state, educational systems or whatever, every time a Native person or a person of color tries to, to rise up, what happens is they throw barriers out. And when, they, when the legislators see a bill like this that comes along and requests a seat for a tribal member on, on a board. I don't care what the board is. It's kind of like you're asking for special rights. You know, you're just like any other citizen. And that's the message that this legislature has sent to tribes uh, over, the, over the years. And uh, it's been many, many years. And, you know, they don't get the fact that we are, in fact, a nation within a nation. And that was used by Longley, that phrase by Governor Longley, to say we cannot have a nation within a nation in the state of Maine. The truth of the matter is, it does exist, and this state needs to own up to it and recognize it and respect us.
1: You know, that actually brings me to the findings of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, uh-huh. because, um, as you know, they, uh, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission was set up to find out sort of what is the truth about what's really going on and then to make concrete recommendations. And one of the things that I found really powerful from reading it is that there were all these sort of technical fixes that they could come up with, you know, ways to make sure that if a child was native, that that was found out and identified and that, you know, the proper policies were followed. But they, they took a really clear stand that, that what is needed here is not just a set of policies but actually, to look at institutional racism. I mean, the document very clearly names what you're describing, which is that kind of at every level, systems are set up in a racist way that block access.
0: You said you had a list of, uh, of bills. Yes. They wanted to talk about. What's the LD number of that bill about the uh, the Constitution?
1: Yes, let's talk about let's that. Let's talk one. about that one. Okay. LD 893. Do you want to go ahead no, no, and tell us? No, no. Go ahead. Explain, okay. Explain so it. what I understand yep. is that when Maine became a state, it had a treaty with Massachusetts, and that the conditions of becoming a state were that it had to Maine had to publicly acknowledge their responsibilities to the tribe. And then what I understand, and this I have to tell you, it blew my mind to learn this, that since that time, those parts of our Maine state constitution that talk about the responsibilities to the tribe have been ordered to be not printed, literally to be erased from history, even though they still exist. And that this law, LD893, is to insist that those sections of the main state constitution do get printed so people can actually know what they are, and that it, so far it hasn't passed. Am I, am I capturing the, it right?
0: Absolutely right. And you know, when you really think about that, you think about, well, there's the United States Constitution is any of that not printed? No way. And you know why? Because United States citizens would not allow that. They wouldn't stand up for that kind of crap. But in Maine, you can't, you know, it's, it's accepted. It's, it's, maybe they didn't even know that it was in the Constitution that that section was not to be printed. But the effect of that not being printed is to marginalize the obligation and the tribes themselves. And it, it, in effect, it, it, it just kind of makes us disappear. I was, I was stunned to
1: learn about it because um, it's, you know, the other term that the TRC finding, findings and recommendation come up with is cultural genocide. Absolutely. And they talk about how originally there was a literal physical genocide in terms of the outright extermination of a people. But that since then, in more modern times, it's been what, what they refer to as a cultural genocide, trying to wipe out a culture. And when I learned that the parts of the Constitution that talk about responsibility to the tribes have been silenced and wiped out, even though they still exist, and in theory they're still in force, it brought it home to me in a way that nothing else had. Yeah, and really I, I
0: would hope that it would. I, I would hope that it would bring it home to every single Maine citizen who believes in the Constitution. Okay, well, for those of you who want to learn more, it's LD893. I
1: encourage you to look it up and,
0: and help Article us. It's Article 10 in the Maine State Constitution. Check it out.
1: Coming back to the TRC then
0: yeah. and, and this,
1: this idea of cultural genocide. The word genocide is a very, very serious word. It gets people's attention. It's something we associate with faraway places. As Americans, we don't tend to think of it as something that applies to ourselves, and we don't want it to apply to ourselves. And yet, the more I've understood what the history of this country is, the the more it's it's not really debatable. What do you think the barriers are for non-native peoples in Maine to grasping this, to taking in the seriousness of what
0: the TRC is pointing to? Well, I think that uh, first of all, they have to want to do that. Um, a lot of the majority culture doesn't care.
1: Why do you think that is? Why do people because not Because they don't
0: have to care. Why should they? And that's what we mean by white privilege, Exactly. That's the
1: definition of white privilege. Exactly. Yeah. So here is this Truth and Reconciliation Commission that lasted over two years. Hundreds of people participated, gave statements, or participated as statement gatherers, coming to the conclusion that still, even today, Native children are removed from their homes in situations where there's abuse or drug addiction five times more than white kids are so the problem is still huge the report states that institutional racism and cultural genocide are at the heart of this and that we need to care about it in order for this to change because the because if you are talking about genocide you're really talking about the threat to the ongoing life of a people i mean i guess i i want to ask you do you feel like the the very lives of the tribes themselves are at stake
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, when you think about genocide, everything that, that you do in order to make a a race of people disappear is under the term genocide, and it's just not lining someone up in front of a firing s- squad or, or burning them up, which they've done. Uh, but it's more than that, and it's taking children away from their families. It's taking away the language, you know, their economic means. Keep them poor, keep them dependent. And that's what the state of Maine has done to the tribes, and they continue to do so. How are they doing that, keeping them poor and keeping them well, dependent? Well, big, big, big example. And there are people in the state, and again, this is a hot-button issue, and it had to do with the gaming bill, where other, the rest of Indian country uh, had the tool of casinos well, you know, in Maine, it's big, it was taken on as a big moral issue. You know, we don't want outsiders coming in. We don't want um, those Indians to uh, bring in organized crime and that sort of thing. Uh, it was really bad what they what they said about the tribes. And it was so foolish that, you know, I was in the legislature at the time, and I thought, no, the general, they're not going to believe that. I mean, they had uh, TV ads showing these buses of uh, Asian people just in hordes coming off buses. And the message was that you're going to have these hotbeds. I don't know if you've heard that term, hotbeds. I, I didn't see that ad. So the lit- it's literally playing on people's racism. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, and there was another, another little sketch about this kid. I don't even, I can't remember if it shows him actually pulling down the arm of this one-armed bandit, but it shows him walking up to it. A child. A child. So it's kind of like, you know, this is is what's going to happen. And it was all geared towards the Indian casinos.
1: But meanwhile, we have two casinos.
0: My point, exactly. And that was 2003. And it's something that the state of Maine just, everybody got together and just made sure that the tribes did not have that tool uh, when the rest of Indian country had it. Other states are under the uh, authority of the, uh, the Indian Gaming Act, which does not apply here in Maine because in the Indian Gaming Act requires that each state negotiate with a tribe if they want a casino.
1: Is that a they, federal it, law, the yeah, Gaming
0: Act? Right, and they cannot deny it. However, in the Maine Land Claims Settlement Act, there's verbiage in the act that says that um, Maine Indians will not be included in federal law unless they are specifically named. So this is in
1: 1980. This is mm-hmm. a specific law in Maine. Yep. The land so if you have,
0: Act. like the Clean Water Act, doesn't apply here because the tribes are not named in it.
1: I was unaware the, of that. Uh,
0: The Indian Gaming Act doesn't apply here because the tribes are not named in it. The, uh, oh, so the Violence Against Women Act... Does not apply here because the tribes are not named in it. So it's that kind of stuff. It's that kind of, of uh, what I call cultural. It's 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 just racism, um, and it it continues to keep us isolated and dependent on the state.
1: It's because what I what I'm trying to what I'm sort of beginning to get my head around is that. The federal government has actually been more of a friend to the tribes yes. than the state. Exactly. And that what the Indian land The state of Maine act-
0: has been an abusive spouse. That's basically what they've been. And someone asked me one day, you know, are you guys coming back to the legislature? I said, well, if your husband beat you all the time and you finally got free, are you going back? No. Are you kidding? No.
1: <laughs> you just said it. <laughs> you know, what I'm struck by is that in our, in our culture... When a woman does go back to her abusive husband because he has all the money exactly. or she'll lose access to her children or she'll be homeless, we blame her.
0: Exactly. Yep. What it's been about is total state control of their Indians, period. Federal government has been pushed out of things and kept out of things. It's sort of like like I said, in, in an abusive marriage where they... You're, the spouse is isolated.
1: Are you cut off the relationship to their other family and their exactly.
0: relatives. Exactly, yes. And their friends. Yeah. Given the you know, the TRC is a tool and it actually puts us on the radar screen. That's what it does. I mean, whereas you've got this constitutional stuff that kind of wipes us out, this TRC stuff puts us back on the screen. That's the first step. The next step is probably the most difficult, and that is actually addressing those issues that have come out of that. So whether the TRC is uh, is successful, we won't know that until there are ways that are created to address these issues that have come out of there and if in fact the state of Maine is and serious about the findings of this TRC, and they, and they want to work towards correcting it, then they have to change some policy and do some planning, and that's going to be the hard part.
1: So in terms of step two, you know, people... So it's on the screen. Yep. People have heard of the TRC. Mm-hmm. Um, step two in terms of really uh, wanting to do something about it. I understand that REACH... Um, which is the organization tasked now with helping to implement the findings, is very involved in doing ally trainings around the state, which is, you know, at a very grassroots level. Other than people who hear the show and want to get involved and go up and look, look for reach on the web, you know, and, and attend these training and educate themselves, are there other things that Maine citizens who
0: care about this and want to be doing something constructive should be doing? Well, they should be paying attention and they should be um willing to look beyond the facade of an issue. Um a little a little research, background to learn. I guess education is, is the key to it.
1: I, I'm just aware that um, you know, I, I was lucky enough to go to good schools all my life and I knew almost nothing about the history, and so the obstacles to caring about something already begin with not even knowing about it
0: exactly yeah, i mean h- part of the part of the the way that the state of Maine has kept native people in in check and under control is by keeping them poor uh, and making it very difficult for them to uh to progress. Um,
1: so when you say something like keeping them poor, we yeah. talked about the mm-hmm. gaming. The gaming loss, is one. But what are other ways that the
0: tribes are being kept poor? What do you mean? Historically, um, that's and you know people have probably learned this by now, is that the the, the tribal the the lands that the tribe owned were were taken away. Uh, the the resources that were in those lands the tribe wasn't allowed to get those there was stumpage and those sort of things uh that uh, What's stumpage? Stumpage is uh cutting when let's say that a, a paper company would cut uh trees and whatever then the the money from those leases would go to the state would not go to the tribes the tribes would have to petition an indian agent and the agent would then have to go through the legislature. And that way, then they might get some money. But that's it was very difficult for them to, to, you know, that's what I'm saying, by keeping them poor.
1: The only right. analogy that I have personally to that is what it's like for me as a psychiatrist with my patients who try to get money back from their health insurance company. And they can't do it. And there's like roadblock after roadblock yeah. to getting reimbursement. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like it was a very similar thing. Right. Like every step of the way to get the money that was due, yep. you couldn't get it. Um, so my understanding is that it's at some point, the Penobscot River around the Penobscot Nation was considered part of the reservation. And that in some dispute over water quality involving the federal EPA versus the state, the state has rescinded that position, and now is claiming that the Penobscot Nation does not is not entitled to the water.
0: It's always been the Penobscot Nation's uh, perspective that the river is theirs. Historically, the river was theirs. And actually, uh, and, and you know, it was part of our total part of who we are as a people. And uh, it has nurtured us for centuries, and uh, to us there's no, really no question. It's our river.
1: What I learned um, is how much uh, these things get caught up in kind of jurisdiction issues, how much the, the question of who's in charge here, is it the federal law, is it the state law, is it the tribe's law, you know, who that it's fighting at that level and that often the tribe gets caught in fights between the state and the federal
0: government is that, and that the, the you know it, it's just when you get involved in all of this legal stuff it really takes the focus off what's really happening and the legalities of these things they are symptoms of a disease they're not the disease the real disease is racism And, you know, and the tribes have suffered from that and have been uh, marginalized and have been made invisible because of that. So in my perspective, get rid of the damn lawyers and uh, start talking to each other.
1: So when I think about the legislators walking out permanently, it feels like that's what they're saying. They're saying... The solution is not to be had in these policies. The problem is deeper, and we have to focus on that.
0: We have to recognize it and own it.
1: Donna Loring, thank you so much for being my guest and for talking to me about these things that get so silenced. I really appreciate
0: it. Well, maybe you can be on my show next. I'd be honored. (laughs) We
1: always try to end every show with further leads for people who want to learn more, Is there, other than going to Wabanaki Windows at WERU, because every show there goes in-depth into these questions, which I really recommend that people do, is there a book that people can start with or a website that you think is a good place for people to begin?
0: Well, there are current issues. We're talking about Maine here. So, and I have written a book, and it's about my time in the legislature. It's a journal. Uh, It's called *In the Shadow of the Eagle*, a tribal representative in Maine, and uh, that's it's very um, detailed about the process of the legislature and the policies and a lot of the thing, a lot of the terms and the barriers that that came up in maybe a two-year span, and I think that'd be pretty eye-opening for people. That sounds
1: like a great place to start. So that book again is *In the Shadow of the Eagle* a tribal representative in Maine by Donna Loring, L-O-R-I-N-G. If you like the show and you want to stay connected to these issues, you can like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Safe Space Radio. You can also find us on the web at safespaceradio.com, where you can listen to all of our past shows, including the earlier shows about Wabanaki history, the TRC itself, and the work of breaking silence in order to heal. While you're there, please subscribe to our email list to find out about each week's new show as soon as it's released. My thanks to Gabe Graben for producing the show and to Jim Russell for being our editorial advisor. Coming up next is Speak Freely.